<laughs> I know what some of y'all thinking. <laughs> You're like, is he going to say something about them raisin cakes? <laughs> well, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to. Jeff said, don't drop the ball. <laughs> so even though I'm tempted, I, my filter is on for now. <laughs> well, good morning. It's good to see you. Glad to be with you. My name's Chad Myers. I'm our adult discipleship director. And uh, yes, uh, our family has moved back to Lexington. We're very excited. And in honor of that, I wore uh, my special dinosaur shirt. Uh, it is the shirt that... <laughs> Don't laugh too loud, then I take it personal. Uh, it is the shirt that I wore the very first time that I preached here at Mount Horeb, the very first time that I stepped on stage. So I have seen today, I saw another, uh, he might have been three, but he had a dinosaur shirt on as well. And I saw a pink shirt uh, with some blue turtles on it. So yeah, you, 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 you look sharp also. Uh, we're in good company. Um, we are in our series, uh, insert catchy title here, and I preached this sermon last week over in the traditional room, so if you came over here thinking that you might hear something new, sorry, it's on repeat, <laughs> but I, I might freshen it up a little bit for this room, because who likes leftovers? But my title of my talk is Learning to Lament, Learning to Lament. I saw someone out in uh, the atrium here before the service, and they said, Chad, we're so excited you're preaching today. Like, pump us up. <laughs> and I knew what I was going to talk about, and I felt a little guilty. I was like, I'm sorry. I might have to deflate you a little bit this morning. <laughs> it's, like, it's like Debbie Downer, the old SNL skit. Like, everyone's talking, and they're all happy, and then she says something about how everyone's going to die eventually. And it's like, Debbie Downer, wah, wah. It's like, you know what? Y'all came in, had a great worship time, ready to go, and then he's going to Talk about being sad. It's like, anybody having a good time? So I'd like to put a stop to that. <laughs> Learning to lament. Why don't we pray and uh, we'll dive in. Father, this is your time. These are your truths. Open your scriptures. May they be alive to us and may our hearts be open to receive. May our minds be open to receive. You know exactly what we need. Speak to us and draw near, we pray. Amen. A few years ago, um, one of our daughters was in an organization at school called Girls on the Run. It's a group of girls, and they would meet together after school, and they would run, hence the name, Girls on the Run. And so after school, I picked her up one day, and sometimes they would have like a life coaching session or talk about certain life issues and organizational skills and whatnot. So it's a, it a great thing. And I picked her up and I said, hey, how was Girls on the Run? She said it was good. I said, what did you guys talk about today? And she said, well, we talked about emotions and I'm something I'm very interested in. And I said, well, help me understand, like, what did you guys talk about? And she said, well, I thought it was a really great way to talk about it. We talked about comfortable emotions and then we talked about uncomfortable emotions. And I thought to myself, that is such a helpful framework. And as someone who tries to grow spiritually and lead others in spiritual growth, I think it's such a helpful framework because often in the church, we're quick to, to label things good or bad or right or wrong. And I understand there's a time and a place for that, but when it comes to emotions and feelings and experiences of the heart, it's neutral. Emotions are neutral. And so that's such a very helpful framework because they all come from the same place. And many of us have to learn how to deal with the uncomfortable side because we'd rather not. I'd rather not. It's a learning thing that we have to practice at. 
I mean, who, who, who doesn't want to feel joy and happiness and peace and all these positive emotions and comfortable ones? But oftentimes, we have to go and lean into these other places where we feel sorrow and pain and grief and anguish and turmoil. And if you're anything like me, you don't naturally want to do that. But they all come from the same place. And what the Bible teaches us is that to push one side down is actually to push the other down. So to push sorrow or anger or frustration or pain or loss down, we actually push down joy. So one of the things I would really like to do today is talk about the concept of lament through the scriptures and help us get hopefully a more holistic view of the human heart and what it means to be redeemed and made fully human in God's image. A lament is this, it's a expression of sorrow, mourning, or regret for, often demonstratively, often demonstratively. We find lament, as we'll see early, early in the Bible in Genesis chapter 15. The prophets lamented. Oh God, we are not who we're supposed to be. We have not followed your ways and walked in your rhythms, and we have forfeited the privilege of bringing light to the nations. Heal us. Forgive us. People lamented when they were sick. God, I'm sick. My family member's sick. I'm crying out to you. People lament in their prayer times. God, I'm in distress. I'm in a spiritual desert. It's been forever since I've really sensed your presence. Where are you? Act on my behalf. Act on my family's behalf. Act on our country's behalf. It's a passionate expression. Some people lament the things that happened to them in their childhood. They lament the things that maybe they did as an adolescent or a teenager that's causing them pain now. How do we do that well so that we can be a whole people? Now, as soon as I started to mention feelings and emotions, I may have lost just completely half the audience. They're like, um, hey, just tell me when he's done with that. Wake me up, all right? But listen, this is for you. This is for you. This is for your good. Trust the medicine. Here's the thing. Did you know this? The number one killer, the number one killer of people today is, is going to be heart disease. Men and women. Men and women. It's heart disease, cause of death. Now, it usually happens to men about 10 to 15 years earlier. And often there's a lot of causes about it, but one of the primary causes is stress. Now, recent studies have suggested that one way to lessen stress that could cause heart disease is actually through the crying of tears the shedding of tears, that it releases a certain toxin from the bitter grief and bitter pain that we experience in this life. And when we do that, we lessen stress. And maybe, just maybe, we prolong our life here. See, I'm for you, friends. I'm for you. This is good stuff. The, the Bible Encyclopedia, International Standard Bible Encyclopedia, gives us three to four different Hebrew words that talk about lament. One of them means beating the chest, beating the chest. The other one means uh, to be dark. One of them says it means to be dirty or unattended to. Now, what that implies is this, is that when people were going through a lament or a loss, they would put on burlap or sackcloth. It was rough on the skin and they would sit down on the earth. Sometimes they would burn a fire, and they would take the ashes, and they would put it on their head, or they would take the dirt, and they would put it on their head, often accompanied by fasting. And then they're crying. They're saying this, my anguish and pain is so great 
I have to show physically how much I'm feeling on the inside. And often in humanity, we're looking for these tangibles to grab a hold on. Listen to this. In that encyclopedia, it says this. Lamentation was an integral part of ancient Semitic life. It was part and parcel. It was in the daily, weekly rhythm. My concern is that here in the Western church, we have become a disintegrated people. We have pushed some of those uncomfortable places really far away because we don't want to feel them. What I'm arguing for today is that the Bible wants us to be more of an integrated person, especially in the human heart. Now, I'm gonna read this next sentence and I want us to think about the last few years that we've experienced. Death, calamity, devastation by war, consciousness of sin, and intense sickness brought about reason for lament. All of us have experienced the last two years in some impactful way that we have reason for lament. And I wonder if some of the microaggressions and the toxic tribalism and the violence, verbal violence on social media and the physical violence that we see around our country today, I wonder if it's a cause or a result rather of we need to learn how to lament. We need to learn how to say this has been really devastating and hard and we don't know what to do with this. How do we hold these places well? I was talking in sermon prep a couple weeks ago about this sermon, and I said, you know, sometimes we get laments wrong. We say laments are a prelude to worship. Like, let's get that stuff out of the way so that we can actually get to the happy stuff, which is worship. And I said, that's wrong. Laments are not a prelude to worship. Laments are worship. And Pastor Trevor was sitting across at the head of the table, and he said, why? And his question caught me off guard. I didn't expect him to uh, challenge my uh, assertion there. And, you know, because I said so works at home, but it doesn't really work in sermon prep. Uh, I had to find out some answers. Like, okay, why is, why are laments not a prelude to worship, but they're worship? And here's why. Because did you know that in the book of Psalms, there are different types of Psalms? And lament is one of those Psalms. And did you know that there are more psalms of lament than any other type of psalm? More psalms of lament than psalms of trust, more psalms of lament than psalms of thanksgiving, more psalms of lament than kingly psalms or messianic psalms, more psalms of lament than psalms of praise. Do you know what the beginning, the title of the book of Psalms is in Hebrew? It's Techelim. Everybody say Techelim. Good. Ish. How about this? I'm going to need a little more. Okay. Techelim. Hey, that was great. That was great. Sign you up. Techelim means this. Praises. Guess what that means? That means the whole gamut of human experiences brought into the people of God and laid before God as worship is worship. Laments are praise, they're just in a minor key. Laments are praise, they're just in a minor key. If I'm going to build a major key, uh, a major chord rather, I'm gonna stay in the key of C, no sharps or flats, getting dangerous back here. If I'm gonna build a major chord, I need three notes, I need two intervals. So I need a root note, and then I'm gonna use a major third because I'm gonna build a major chord. 
And then on top of that, I'm gonna put a minor third and that's gonna build a major chord. It's key of C, right? Pretty simple, happy, you think of praises, sounds good. That's stuff we like to feel, joyful. Do you know what it takes to change that to a minor chord? All it takes is moving the middle note down a half a step, just one half step. So instead of, it's now, same root, same fifth. It's just one half step down in the middle. Laments are praise in a minor key. As we just sang a few moments ago, the highlands and the heartache are all the same. They're all the same. I hope that this sermon maybe unties some knots for some people inside today. Psalm 13 is a famous lament by King David. It says this, listen to his anguish and listen to the words that he uses. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long must you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Some of the characteristics of a lament are it's an individual or personal cry. How long? Will you forget me? Where are you? God, you've got to act. How long do I have to have anguish in my mind, mental anguish and suffering and pain? How long do I have to have sorrow in my heart? God, you've got, to, you've got to intervene here or I might die. Where are you? What I want to do is hopefully cast a vision for what it would look like for lamenting well and maybe we can pick up some how-tos along the way. One of my hunches is that we don't always need a how-to for lament because it's kind of built into us. It's wired into us. We just need permission to do it. We just need the okay to say, oh, that's a good thing. Bring that before God. So let me cast a little vision for what lamenting well might look like. Lamenting well bears witness to a broken world. If we're gonna lament well, when we do that, it actually bears witness to a broken world. It tells the truth about reality. It is the real reality, not just our perceived reality. When God created the world, he, he made human beings, creatures of the sixth day. He made all the cosmos, everything we see in the sky and the oceans, all the, the birds of the air and the things that creep along the ground, as Genesis says. And he said it was good. And he put humanity here in flesh and bone. And he made us creatures of the sixth day. And he said, very good. Like everything it means to be physical is not bad. It's good that we are limited, finite creatures, that we need rest and sleep and food and fellowship and laughter, that we need each other. These are all really, really good things. But then sin came in. Mankind rebelled, and sin and death entered the world. And now we live east of Eden, and our existence is like exile. We feel like we're on the outside of something looking in. 
and thorns and thistles infest the ground, as we sometimes sing at Christmas. Thorns and thistles everywhere. Thorns and thistles in our workplace. Thorns and thistles in our core relationships. Thorns and thistles in our parenting and our grandparenting. Thorns and thistles in our dating life. Thorns and thistles in our own dreams. We see that there's this great, uh, this great death that we've experienced because we live in this world east of Eden. But when we lament, we're actually looking out at the world and acknowledging that's the reality of humanity. We live in a fallen and broken world of which I am a part of. I'm a fallen and broken person. And my heart is fallen and broken as well. And when we lament, we are keeping in step with the reality as God knows it. And we are saying about these things, not the way it's supposed to be. Not the way it's supposed to be. Something is deeply wrong with this world. Something is deeply broken in my own heart. And we need something stronger or someone stronger. And we need someone more powerful and someone wiser to come from outside of humanity and fix this broken mess. That's what redemption means. But when we lament well, we acknowledge that life is hard and the world is hard and we live in it. People were uh, accusing Jesus of some things and they were accusing John the Baptist to Jesus and the religious leaders didn't like John the Baptist or his cousin Jesus. And they said about John the Baptist, he didn't come drinking or going to dinner parties or feasting or doing anything like that. And Jesus said, you said he has a demon, but the son of man comes and he goes to dinner parties and he drinks wine and he, uh, he has great times with people and all of a sudden you're accusing him of being a glutton and a drunkard. And Jesus says, your perception of reality is completely upside down. Listen to Matthew eleven seventeen. 17. He, he says this poem to them. We played the pipe for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't mourn. He's saying you're out of cadence with the kingdom reality. You're out of cadence with it. We played a flute, an upbeat song, and you didn't dance to it. We sang a funeral dirge, and you didn't weep. God says, I want you to be in step with your experience of reality. That's where I meet you. But we don't like this. We want to push away hard things. We want to push away or sweep under the rug anything that's painful, uncomfortable. No, that's not true about me. No, that wasn't true about our relationship. Oh, when she said that, that they didn't really mean that, and we sweep it under the rug or we deny it. We float down that river denial. And when we try to deny those hard things, that's like trying to stuff a beach ball under the water. If only I had someone out in the audience just randomly planted who brought a beach ball for this illustration. Huh. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> Look at that. You ever taken a beach ball? And if you don't want to admit it publicly, maybe you've seen your kids do it. Uh, you ever taken a beach ball and try to balance on it? You try to, in the pool, you, try, you either try to sit on it, you try to wrap your arms around it, and you, you try to get on top of it, and you want to balance on it in the pool, and maybe you're like really good at balancing. You're a good balancer, as they say. Nobody says that, but I just did. And uh, you, you take this beach ball and you're getting on top of it and you're pushing it under the water and maybe you're really good for a little while, but you kind of look unstable. And maybe you're able to hold it down for longer than most people, but then all of a sudden 
things start to shake, things start to move. And if you hold on too tight and you stay on it too long, it just flips upside down and then you're under the water. That's how sometimes left to our own devices, thank you, we wanna handle uncomfortable parts of our heart. But then we start to get topsy-turvy and we start to move around. Life gets a little bit shaky. We become a little bit unstable or unhealthy. Things start happening around us and we start to think, what is going on inside of me? And if we hold on too tight and try to push down too hard, before we know it, Life turns upside down. David Viscott, medical doctor, he uh, spent countless hours listening to people's stories and pain and challenges. And out of his experiences, he wrote a book called Emotional Resilience. And in that book, he says this, tell the truth and your life will heal itself. Tell the truth and your life will heal itself. What he's really getting at is this desire within humanity for self-deception to avoid uncomfortable places. And when we lament well, it bears witness to a broken world, which is our reality. Lamenting well also bears witness to a big God, a broken world, but also a big God. How, how big is your God really? How big is he really? In the book of Genesis, God promised Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that he would be blessed and that he would be a blessing, that he would be the father of a great nation or great people, and that he would inherit a certain land. He promised him this, and about 80 to 100 years later, that promise still hadn't come to pass because Abraham and Sarah, his wife, didn't have a child. They didn't have one of their own children that this blessing and inheritance would pass on to. So Genesis 15, uh, God comes to Abram and says this, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Think of this, 100 years after this promise. Don't be afraid, Abram. I'm your shield, your very great reward. I'm your shield, your very great reward. And Abram, Abram says here, but Abram said, but sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless and the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus? 80 to 100 years of living in the midst of this tension of this thing that was promised but not yet fulfilled. And what Abram does is he laments. And he says, well, hold on a second. How are you my very great reward when we don't even have a child? How's this gonna happen? And he goes on for about four verses. All commentators on this passage say this. There is a tone of complaint in Abraham's voice, in the Hebrew. There is a tone of complaint in Abraham's voice. Laments are sometimes called complaints. And guess what? Abraham trusts that God is big enough to do what? Bring it right to him. Not talk behind his back. Not say something about him over here, but take it right to him. Matthew Henry, in his commentary on this passage, says this, though we must never complain of God, yet we have leave to complain to him and to state all our grievances. It is ease to a burdened spirit to open its case to a faithful and compassionate friend. God's big enough to handle it. He's big enough to take it. Not only that, he actually wants to hear it. Think about that person in your life that is one of the safest persons for you and you feel like, yeah, I can, you can hold all 10,000 pounds of my soul, and when I give it to you, you don't judge me, you don't try to fix me, you don't have me kind of, you know, 
put on a face to be something for you. You're, you're with me in these places. That's God times infinity. The safest person never judges us, never condemns us. He wants us to cry out to him. Dr. Russell Moore, a leader in a, a large denomination in America here, a good Christian leader, he wrote a book called Adopted for, Adopted for Life, and he describes him and his wife going through these orphanages in Eastern Europe as they are in the process of adoption. And he says this, one of the most eerie experiences in this time was the silence from the nursery. The babies in the cribs never cried, not because they never needed anything, but because they had learned that no one cared enough to answer. He goes on to say, children who are confident of the love of a caregiver cry. Children of God who are confident in the unflinching, unfailing love of our Heavenly Father in Christ cry. And we cry out again and again and again and again because this Father's love and his patience never runs out. Lamenting well bears witness to a big God. Lamenting well shapes us into genuinely joyful people. It shapes us into genuinely joyful people. Some of you may be thinking, man, you are kind of Debbie Downer. Are you against happiness? Are you up there? You're so sad. Like, maybe you need to talk to somebody, figure this thing out. Are you against joy? No, I'm absolutely not. I think we should be about the business of joy, but I, I want it to be an authentic joy, a genuine joy, not a joy that we're spiritually exhausted by. You know what I'm saying? Like that kind of joy. Like, oh my goodness, I've worked really hard to say the right words and do the right thing and put on my happy face, and I've used all my emotional and spiritual energy to kind of do that thing. And we meet these people, and sometimes we are these people, and then we think to ourselves, man, they're so tired from being happy. Not that kind of joy. I think sometimes we feel like we have to, we have to impress God like we're going on a first date. Like we got to get all dressed up and we got to learn the right lingo. And what's the right stuff God wants to hear? And what is the vocabulary that we're supposed to say? And we put our spiritual makeup on and we show up and we're, we were having conversation and we're saying all the right things and trying to put our best foot forward and impress him. And I wonder if sometimes God's just saying to us, hey, I love you. I'm really glad you showed up and I understand what's going on, but I want the real you. I want the genuine you. I I'm sad that you don't trust me enough to be yourself with me. And I want you to let down these walls, let down these masks, and be who you are. That will help shape us into genuinely joyful people, not a fake joy. To lament is to participate in the pain of others. Let me say this and then I'm gonna unpack it. To lament is to participate in the pain of others. One of the ways we get to be genuinely joyful people is by participating genuinely in the pain of others. So think about this psalm. As David would have penned it and David would have sang it, he wouldn't have been alone. He would have come into the community of faith and they would have sang it together even if it wasn't their story. So David's got this going on and he's singing this lament and he's got this huge weight and burden on his shoulders. But all of a sudden he comes into the community of faith and now his pain becomes our pain and we begin to sing together. How long, O oh Lord, will you forget me forever? How long are you gonna hide your face from me? 
How long must I have wrestled with my thoughts and have sorrow in my heart? And we begin to chant and we begin to sing that together. And the pain that that individual is carrying now begins to be shouldered by the community of faith and that burden lessens and it becomes spread out. And suddenly, maybe, as C.S. Lewis says, when we lament well like that, we get surprised by joy. And to lament well is to participate in the pain of others, even if it's not our song. We sing it because it's this person's song in the community of faith, and we belong to each other. Jesus said it like this, John 16, 20, very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. He's talking about his death and resurrection, and when he's, he's going to die, the disciples would be just confused out of their mind and in shock and in pain, and he says, you're going to grieve, but your grief will turn to joy when you know that I'm risen from the dead. But I also think it has a larger context here. If we allow lamenting, if we allow the grief process and the loss process to run its proper course, it will actually lead us to deeper and more genuine joy. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. We don't wanna lament, we don't wanna go there, but then we do, and we lament well, and then we start to see the light at the end of that tunnel and when we get there, there's a deeper and more genuine joy that sometimes looks like shouts of joy, but sometimes it looks like a deep, settled, silent joy. And when we lament well, we participate in the pain of others. And when we do that, it shapes us into genuinely joyful people. Pastor Jeff, in just a few weeks, is going to teach on the other side of this coin how to rejoice in a world of rejection. And really, it's what I said, there are two sides of the same coin. So guess what? If you come in with your pain and we start to shoulder that with you, someone else is coming in with their praise, and guess what? We start to sing those songs too. So we don't just sing lament. We sing lament, we sing trust, we sing thanksgiving, we sing gratitude, and we sing praise all as a community of faith, and we begin to be shaped by these things. We participate in the pain of others, but we also participate in the praise of others. The book of Romans says, mourn with those who mourn and rejoice with those who rejoice. How often do we get that backwards? And when we do these things well, we become genuinely joyful people. And I personally think it's incredibly attractive to the outside world. Lastly, lamenting well helps others flourish. It helps other people flourish. Pete Scacero is a pastor, and he'd been a pastor for a long time. Uh, and he was, uh, years ago, leading a thriving church. The church was growing. They had a, even had a, a Spanish worship service that was happening simultaneously as their English worship service. The Spanish service was growing, 200, 250, and he was experiencing a lot of success. When he showed up one day and completely shocked and surprised, overnight, a church split had happened in his Spanish service. And there was not 250 people there. There were 50 people there. And the leader of that service was gone. And the leader of that service was a friend of Pete's, and he had orchestrated the church split, and he had left. And Pete felt completely betrayed, and he felt a little bit lost and confused. He began to do some introspection, like, what's going on with the church? Is there anything, you know, a part of me going on here? What, what's looking in the mirror? What's happening? About a year later, his wife, Jerry, comes to him, and Jerry says to him, Pete, I'm leaving your church. And he says, what? And she says, the leader that you project to be and the leader that you are are two different people. And there are places in your heart 
that you have not done anything with and it's impacting our marriage and our family. I'm leaving your church until you get help. As you can imagine, this sent him spiraling, backpedaling on a very, very painful journey. But in the long haul, Pete Scacero went on this lamenting journey and he began to process some of those more uncomfortable places of the heart. You may know him because he wrote the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And in the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, he says this, one of the taglines is this, you cannot be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. You cannot be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. He wanted to lament well to help others flourish. I remember a time in my own life years ago where I was younger, our family was younger, we were building our family, three kids, four kids, stopped at four kids, and I began to see some of these things in my life that I hadn't lamented well on from my own childhood coming out and impacting the people that I love the most, hurting my wife, hurting my kids, and I thought to myself, this is not who I wanna be. I've got to learn how to deal with some of these places in my heart. So it's not everybody's story, but my own story, I went to counseling. And I was in counseling for 10 plus years, trying to get into these places, and I don't understand it, and what do I even feel, and I don't know how to process this, and I don't wanna do this. All of this is very painful and uncomfortable, but I know I need to do this, so I need some help, and God help me learn how to lament. And I stand here today, and I don't stand here perfect, and I don't stand here as a person who never sins against his family, but I do stand here as a person who has learned to lament better and hopefully lessen some of those impacts that I was having upon our family and upon my kids. The book of Exodus talks about generational curses, things that happen that get passed down and passed down, and these dysfunctions that get passed down through generations. And one of the things that God wants for us is to be a chain breaker, or at the very least, a chain bender that we begin to say, okay, this has happened in my grandparents and it's happening in me. We're, we, we, I don't wanna see this. I don't wanna impact our family like this. Let's, let's ask God to come into these places and bring some healing. I wanna set others up for flourishing. When we do that, we're living out this truth that we know to be true. If we don't let God transform our pain, we will transfer our pain. We will. If we don't deal with it, it'll deal with us. If we don't process it well, we'll pass it on. We have to let God into these places of our heart and say, teach me how to lament well. Lamenting well helps others flourish. So maybe you're here today or watching online and, and you say, okay, you've cast a vision for it. What on earth do I do? What do I do practically? And I don't exactly know your step and your place. I believe God will show it to you if you genuinely want to know but here's, here's what I would say to you. Find an outlet for your lament. Find an outlet. I think it's less of a one-off and more like a lifestyle. So find an outlet for it. You know, the worship team here does an incredible job of bringing in different types of psalms, thanksgiving, gratitude, praise, and the Highland song had a tone of lament to it. I'll praise you in the, in, when I'm on the mountain, when the mountain's in my way, you're God. You're God. The highlands and the heartaches all the same. You're no less God within the shadow. Though I pass through the valley of the shadow of death, you're God. But there's not a lot of contemporary worship out there that has a tone of lament. So we have to do a little work. 
to figure this out. One thing I would say to you is maybe it's in prayer. Maybe your outlet is in prayer that you start to get really brutally honest with God. Whether you write it down or whether you pray silently or talk to him out loud and say, hey, I've been trying to impress you, trying to put my best foot forward, trying to be someone I'm not. And you know it and I know it. So let's just be honest. God loves that. Maybe you find some music that is lament, that helps you access these places. And maybe you tap into that and you just make a playlist. And it just says, my lament playlist, or a better title than that, you know? You come up with it, not me. But it's your playlist of like, okay, I don't wanna do this, but I know it's necessary. I've gotta tap into these places. You need community also. We're not meant to do this alone. We'll never reach our full potential in Jesus by ourselves. So we need others. We need a safe person or some safe people that can hold us in all of our pain and not try to fix us or get us to the joy process too fast. Maybe it's counseling, maybe it's therapy. We have some great ministries here, Grief Share. It's a safe place led by well-trained people, well-seasoned in grief that we can share, you can share your grief with them. Divorce care, maybe you've been through a divorce, going through divorce, and you're like, this is the hardest, most painful thing I've ever done. We have those ministries, Stephen's ministers, trained people that love to come alongside you. Our staff love to come alongside you and say, hey, we just wanna lament well with you, that's it. If you need that, please don't hesitate to reach out. Find an outlet for your lamentations. When we are shaped by the rhythm of lament, I'm convinced we will be more whole people, and I'm convinced that's actually a very true and attractive story to the watching world. May God help us do that. Let's pray. Father, you're a big God. Sometimes we don't think that about you. Sometimes we make you into a very small God who gets petty and frustrated and chastises too quickly or impatient. Sometimes we make you out to be a parent that you know, we had where you're just always correcting us or getting on to us and we're never can do it right. We never feel like we're living up to it. But God, you give us a pathway and lament to say, bring your cries, bring your anguish, bring your distress, bring all of it. Bring your anger, your pain, your loss, your confusion. Bring it to me and it is a sweet aroma of praise. Even if it's in a minor key. God, for some people here, they need to be liberated because they feel so guilty that they've been lamenting. And they feel like less than as a believer. They feel like they have to have, they should have just had better faith so they, they could get to that psalm of praise. God, set them free from that guilt. Set them free from that half-truth. Father, some are here who have been consistently living in denial, trying to push that beach ball down and say, I don't want to do it. I don't want to go there. But it's hurting them and it's hurting people they love. Give them courage and clarity to take the next step. Give us the faith to trust that your love really is unconditional. And that as we bear our souls before you, you will shape us into the people we need to become. Help us in Christ's name we pray. Amen.